we're always out there eating sandwiches. And that's the beautiful part about Philadelphia. I mean, it is a sandwich town, right? Not even in Center City, South Philly, but the outskirts, South Jersey, North Jersey. I mean, we're all Sam Boners, Colin. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Sam Boner Show. I'm your host, Sam Boner Mick. I'm here all alongside my co-host in Colin Thompson. And we have an awesome, awesome guest on our hands here this afternoon. Couldn't be more excited to introduce to you, Mr. Tony Luke Jr., Hi, Mick. How are you? Doing hey, well, Tony. Doing? doing well. Mick, appreciate you sending it over to me, man. We are just so excited. We have a legend in this business joining us, like you said, Tony Luke Jr. You're going to shake your head, Tony, but you're probably one of the reasons why we're here. <laughs> the cheesesteak culture is what the Sam Boners really, truly are all about. So, Tony, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing really good. I, I got to tell you, I'm, I, and I mean this, it's really an honor to be on the show. I mean, I... I I love so much what you're doing. I mean, I, I, I don't think when, when I first opened, it was, you know, the Philly cheesesteak. And I say the Philly cheesesteak because that's what it's known everywhere here. It's just the cheesesteak. But everywhere I go, it's the Philly cheesesteak. Didn't really exist. In 92, it was really just a Philadelphia thing. And then over the years, it just kind of exploded into a national sandwich. I mean, it is a national sandwich now, which is pretty amazing. And I love the attention you bring to it. But what I really, really love that you do more than anything is you highlight those businesses that are bringing this great food to people that otherwise wouldn't get the attention that they so deserve. Because for decades, it was... Very, you know, like with horse blinders, there were only certain places that got got the attention. And there was all these great other sandwich places that if you weren't locally, you didn't know who they were. And a lot of them were family oriented and they were struggling to make ends meet. So God, truly, God bless you for what you're doing, because you're not only bringing great food to people that wouldn't know that it was even there, but you're helping these families bring people in to keep the money coming in to keep them going. Appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Really, really do appreciate it. And, you know, it's not just me. It's, it's the community that we've created. You know, there's a, there's a ton of Sam Boners out there, Tony, that have the ability to go do exactly what I'm doing. And uh, that's, that to me is what it's all about. Because like you said, there's a million mom and pop shops all throughout, not only Philadelphia, but, our surrounding areas or even just over the bridge in South Jersey. There's a ton of them. And we are so blessed to have, you know, the ability to produce such quality bread in an effort to produce these unbelievable sandwiches. So, you know, I, I continue to, you know, urge people to get out there in Sam Bone and support these local businesses because it's fun and that's what it's all about. So yeah, we really appreciate you coming on today, Tone. Oh, it's, it's an, it's an absolute honor. So, what can I share? What can I tell you? What, what do you want to know? I'm an open book. I think for me, there's a lot to unpack here, right? Because there's so, there's so much. But the only place we could start really is in the beginning, right? Like, how did this start? You said 92, right? The Philly sports world has a lot to do with it. You're kind of right in that South Philly kind of sphere. Like, we had South Philly Albert on episode one. He's talking about your place. He's talking about these places. Like, there's so much to talk about. But I just want us to focus on right now is the beginning. How did this thing all start? And I'm super glad that you asked that because there's a great, great, the story behind getting started could be an episode unto itself, literally. <laughs> so I will try to break it down as best as I could in the shortest amount of time. So my father would always cook roast pork and roast beef for mm. parties from when I was a kid. And people would go nuts over his roast pork and his roast beef. And he had lunch trucks. He had a commissary for lunch trucks, which is where I worked. My head was always more like I can say this. I am so proud to be able to say what I'm about to tell you right now. But I am one of the originals, which they call the originals. I am the first graduating class of creative and performing arts school. So Kappa, we were the first year to graduate Kappa. I was the first student, one of the first students to go there. 
and it changed my life. So my head was always into music, acting, um, art. All of the arts were really always my thing. So that's kind of what I did. My father and my brother really did food a lot. Like that's what they grew up in. So I had a little restaurant. Now, back in the day, this was very unique called Lucidonio's. And what we would do, well, I, I opened up this place on 7th and Federal. And you would order food. So let's say you ordered a chicken parm or veal scallopine, whatever it was. We would send a box to you with a soup a salad, dessert, garlic bread, and your main deal. And we would deliver whole dinners. There was no eat-in. We would just deliver. This was before any DoorDash, anything. And it was it was hugely successful. Damn, Tony, it's a shame the light bulbs didn't go off. Yeah, I mean, it was like, <laughs> and then my, my father was looking for a piece of ground. He found this ground, and nobody wanted to be there. Because believe me, Front Oregon is a great spot now. It wasn't in 92. There were Trump, Delaware Avenue was a mess. It was, it was not the best area. He finds a spot. We have no money. He cuts the deal. Well, we have no cash. So he calls me in and my brother and he goes, let's do something as a family. Let's, let's work this and make this happen. Let's open up this sandwich shop. And Tony Luke was a nickname that my father was given when he worked at KBI as a truck driver. They couldn't say his last name. So the story was my father said that every time they would give out the checks, they'd go, check for Tony Lacedonio, Lacedonio. And then finally said one day the guy, he walked up to get the check and the guy said, from now on, you're Tony Luke. I can't say your last name. It's Tony Luke. And the nickname stuck. So we did this. So we would build because my father could do anything. When I tell you anything, carpentry work, plumbing work, cement work. I never knew I could do cement work, but I didn't realize I'm Italian. And I think all Italians somehow are born knowing how to do cement work. <laughs> it's just kind of like a DNA thing. So, so um, we would build and then we would shut it down. He would work, would save money. He'd go back and he'd build. So when I tell you Tony Luke's was built from the ground up, it was literally built. Other than laying the foundation, my father, one of his friends, me, my brother, and one other person built it by hand. Now, I know nothing. I can write you a song. I can do chart. I can orchestrate. I, I don't know how to put a hammer and a nail like that. I'm completely useless when it comes to that kind of stuff. So we're building and it's like 90 degrees and a lunch truck comes to feed, feed us. And I hear this faint whisper, Anthony, Anthony. And I don't know where it's coming from, but I know it's coming from the back of the place. I run in the back and there's my father flat on the floor. And I think he's dying. The man is working full time. And then we're building on the weekends. I literally pick him up and I put him in a pickup truck. I drive him to the hospital. We get there. The doctor literally says to me, 10, 15 more minutes. He's dead. He has a stroke. His blood pressure is like two, nine. Like it was, it was outrageous. And, and I thought he died. Like he looked like he was dying. I mean, it almost killed him to build it. Jeez. And as soon as he came out of the hospital, we went back again, and I remember him saying this to me. He was, I was 30 at the time, which made him, he'll be 84. So what was he, 54? 54. And he said, I think it was 54. I'm not 100% positive. Uh, no, 51. 51. I don't know. He was born <laughs> in 39. I, I can't do the math. Uh, we looked at the register and there was maybe $500 in it and we were opening up the next day and he didn't look right. And I said, dad, what's the matter? And he said, I'm 50 something years old. Everything in the world I put into this, if this doesn't make it, 
I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just too old. And I mean, he worked every day. And the first day we opened, people came. And it was a different kind of a feel because my father would always ingrain in me and my brother, don't ever sell anything you wouldn't eat yourself. Remember that people, this was the greatest thing he ever taught me and it helped me in business. He said, never forget, no matter how big you get, no matter what you do, never forget that people can spend their money anywhere, anywhere. So if they're going to spend it with you, give them a reason to. Make them family. Like That's why we took names. No one took names before we did. We took names. We we're like, what's your, and let me tell you something. In the beginning, getting names from people in South Philly, it, it was like you would have thought I was wired by the FBI. And we'd be like, yeah, man, give me a, give me, give me a roast pork time. What's your name? What do you want to know my name for? Well, so I could, I could call out the name. Well, I'm not giving you my name. And I go, well, today it's Bob. Just remember it's Bob. Then I'd be yelling out the window, Bob, Bob, excuse me, Bob. And then he'd look at me and go, my name ain't Bob. I'm like, no kidding. You wouldn't give me your name. I made you Bob. <laughs> that was literally what it did. And now remember, we were in the middle. Of, we were out in nowhere land. No one, no one, only truckers drove by. And we made good food at a good price. But what my calling was marketing. It was music. It was acting. It was. And I remember I thought, how do I get these people to come from there over here? Because I knew the food was good enough to keep them, but I had to get them there without word of mouth taking. There was no social media then without word of mouth taking 10 years. So I came up with this idea for these stupidly ridiculous commercials. And I'll tell you how far back we're going. The company I went to to do it was Prism. Ah, I don't even know if you remember you Prison. Channel 22. Prison. It was ridiculous. Because remember, I'll, I'll be 61 years old. So I'm not a kid. And I told them what I wanted. And they said to me, why don't you want to show food? I'm like, no, no food. I, I, it's got to be funny, but it can't be food. They were like, well, no one does a, a, about a restaurant with no food. And I said, I'm paying you. Do what I want. And they thought it was going to be a disaster. But what I knew was I wanted people talking about Tony Luke's even when they weren't hungry. Even if they said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Did you see this new Tony Luke's, whatever, whatever that is? Well, I don't know what it is because in a commercial, it's some stupid guy running around in a, in a convict outfit. Like I don't, but I knew if I kept that in your brain and I kept doing these commercials that when you were hungry, that would be the first seed that would come to mind. And then the commercials really took off and became this staple. And then it started getting attention. And then the more attention it got, it brought people. I had, I had someone dressed up as an ostrich running. I would go to every radio station, every news station with sandwich. Go, hi, I'm Tony Luke Jr. You really need to try this. Because it was always Pat's, Geno's, Jim's. That was your trinity. Like, that was the holy grail. No oh, one... Yeah. Steve cuts in, Steve cut in with that, but that was kind of the Trinity. So my goal was how do I do in a year or two years what it took someone 30 to do? And that was my angle. And it, to me, it was the perfect relationship because my dad was the hardest working man I've ever known. He strove for quality in everything he did. My brother worked as hard as my dad. And I was the goof that was out everywhere, getting, trying to get the attention. So we opened up February 3rd, 1992. And from the first day we opened, it was able to sustain itself. Then within a year, business doubled and then tripled and then quadrupled. And then in 1994, I believe it was, one of the years we won for best roast pork and best cheesesteak. Uh, oh, and here's a bit of trivia. So let me let me see if you know. What did Tony Luke's not sell from the day we opened till six months later? Cheesesteaks. Cheesesteaks. That's right. We were never supposed to be a cheesesteak place. It was I was going to say pork. chicken cheesesteak. <laughs> no, it was roast pork, chicken cutlet Italians, pepper oh. and eggs, uh, green sand it was all italian stuff 
My favorites. What? My favorite. Oh yeah. Well, my favorite is the chicken colored Italian or the pork Italian. Is my favorite. Pork Italian is the my favorite sandwich. Don't. I'm gonna interject with interject with the story here, and we'll go. I'm gonna go back to the beginning of the, the business there in a sec. So I went to University of Florida, right? And I have a great friend, Chris Chris Yabor. Uh, he works in you know one of the unions down there in Philly. And when I was at Florida, he would ship me your stuff, and I would cook it in the freaking dorm rooms and in, in the communal <laughs> place. And the place would just reek of garlic and people would come in droves. It's like, oh, Colin's cooking today. I made a lot of friends. So I would, he would, ship me, he <laughs> nice. would ship me pork roll and then he would ship me your stuff overnight and the place would reek. Or we'd stop on the way down and I would reek on the plane on the way down when I was playing football down there. So it's just a good when I hear when I hear you say pork Italiano, broccoli Rob, I'm like, oh, man, that's my favorite. That's my favorite. Yeah, and, when we, and we had to educate a lot of people on broccoli rabe because it was a green that most people, I mean, if you weren't Italian, it was something that was kind of foreign to you. So that's why we also offered spinach. We knew everybody, you know, knew what spinach was, but the broccoli rabe really started started the movement. And it Why did you go to the cheesesteak really then? You said the six-month period. What happened? Okay, so people kept coming to the window. Everyone was coming to the window going, why can't I get a cheesesteak here? I mean, and my father's like, because we don't sell cheesesteaks. And it's like, well, how can you not sell cheesesteaks? You're in South Philly. What? And I remember him saying, look, we have to sell cheesesteaks. So if we're going to do it, we have to do it right. And I remember here was the difference. If someone said, what would back then, I don't know if anyone is, is copying it now, but back then, here was the biggest difference between Tony Luke's and everyone else. Because my father really knew me. You, he knew two things that I pass on to everyone. I don't keep it as a secret. Excuse me. Thick steak needs to be heavily salted. It develops a crust and it keeps our, it, it, searing doesn't really keep the juices in. The high heat, you want to keep it and you want it rare. You, you really shouldn't eat meat anyway. But thin steak, you never want to salt till it's completely cooked because the salt draws out the moisture and makes a thin piece of steak dry. So we would cook all our steak at a very low temperature, which is why people would go, why am I waiting five minutes for a steak? Like I'm waiting eight minutes for a steak. Well, A, because we don't drop the steak until you put the order in then. Sure. And we, we put it on a very low flame. They're like, no, you got to put it high and, you got to char that. No, no, no. <laughs> Which is why our steak was always so juicy. When you bit it, it would drip because all of the flavor of the steak. And then we wouldn't salt it till it came off. And the other for, thing. For, was, first, they wouldn't give you their name. Now they're telling you what to do. Exactly. So the one thing we did, too, which was very different than anyone else was doing, at least at the time, was. And this is one thing I'm proud of because this is what I thought of. The juice evaporates while it's on the grill. Even at a low flame, it's still evaporating. And then the cheese is on top. We would take the steak when it was almost done, like when it was just super little pink where it was about to turn, and put the cheese on top, then flip it with the cheese on the bottom of the grill so that not only – and because it was low, it wouldn't burn the cheese, so that the juice now from the steak was all incorporated into the cheese. So every bite of that, of the, of the moisture and the juice coming from that steak, then we go under it and slab it across. And the difference in flavor was night and day. Because you weren't getting two different flavors coming together in your mouth. You were getting them already combined. And I thought that was, was a really, a really big difference on the steak. And then we baked our own bread, which was not cheaper. It was actually more money to bring in par bakes and then bake them off. But the difference between a roll that comes out of an oven an hour before you get it, or rolls that are baked at five in the morning, and then you're eating it at five at night, it's sitting for 12 hours, was a huge difference. And that prop I give to my dad. That was his idea. He's like, we need to bake these off. And my head, I'm like, no one bakes them off. It's going to take too long. Yeah. It's going to cost more money. It doesn't matter. It'll be better. And he was 100% right. 
No, that's that's spot on, man. Absolutely. And and you're seeing that firsthand with with Danny over at Angelo's. Oh, uh, right? Danny's my boy. I and love bacon Danny. bread in house, Tony. And you can't outdo a product like that. No, no. Yeah, it's the little things. People go. People think it's easy to make a cheesesteak. And I want to give Bobby Flay props on one thing. When we did the showdown, me and him, the throwdown head to head. Yep. He made a statement at the end of that show. He said, people think it's easy to make a cheesesteak. Just throw some meat on a grill and chop it up and put it in a sandwich. He said, but watching Tony, and may God rest his soul, my son Tony, who was on that show, watching Tony and Tony do this, I never realized how much goes in to making the steak the way it should be made. And there's a lot, there is a lot to it. There is absolutely a technique to it. And that's why you'll realize you can go to some of your favorite steak places and then you go at like noon and you go, oh my God, this is the best steak I've ever had. Then you may go back again at like eight or nine and go, why isn't it as good? Because there's two different people making that steak on the grill. Yep. And it and makes a difference. May, and the bread may have sat three or four hours. Right. Makes a difference. Yeah. How do you fight that as a business owner, Tone? Because, right, you, you're not the business right now working. Obviously, you're still work your business. But my point is, it's a different sort of management position, I'm assuming. How do you make that for your product to stay the same? Well, here's the deal. You're going to lead me into my new product, but I don't want to go there yet. I don't want to hit that yet. But unfortunately, the only way I could have guaranteed any kind of consistency was I had to chop the steak. Tony Luke's never chopped the steak because everyone knew these guys were there for 10 years from day one. Everyone knew when that, when that steak had to be flipped. Everyone knew when that steak had to come off. When you open up franchises, you're not there. You know, at our peak before COVID and all the other stuff, we had 27 locations. So and they're all over the place. They're in New York City. They're in Baltimore. So I can't keep track of what's going on. So I knew if I trained them to chop the steak, they could visually see when it's done and be able to get more consistency. And it's funny because I would get emails from people going, I was at your location and it's not the same. And this isn't. And I'm like, because they're human beings cooking. Like, I can't guarantee. It's not McDonald's. Like, I... Yeah. It's it, it and I and I can't oversee 27 locations. Like it's impossible to do right. it, you know. And a kid asked me a question once, and I'm going to answer it. It's just like I answered him. When you open up a restaurant, there comes a time where you come to this crossroad, where you have to decide whether you want to be an iconic restaurant that blows people away or you want to be a brand, you literally cannot, I don't care what anyone tells you, you can't have both. Nope. Because when you franchise, when you expand, you I don't care how great you think you are at managing, how well you have everything written out, you cannot control 100% of the quality like you can in the store where you are there every single day. When you are doing the work, next to super hard to maintain 100% of the quality mm. when you're not there, when okay. someone else is, is doing it, when your brand, it's your brand and it's your name. And let me tell you, you don't know how difficult it is. I can't imagine to go to a location and see something that is not right. And your first reaction is get off the grill, get, put it, put the spatula down, get off the grill. And your COO is next to you going, mm -mm. you can't say it. What do you mean? It's my name. Mm -mm. It's a franchise. You have a complaint. You got to send it to the attorney. Then the attorney will write up a letter and then they'll send it to the franchisee. And then if, so this is because I'm looking there going, no, 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 no. I told you, you can't raise the temperature more than this. You can. And then he's like, you cannot correct an employee of a franchise. Mm, right. You don't own it. That's right. tough. So, and, and for me, you know, I'm not a control freak, but it's what I do. It's like, I know, I, I, I got to tell you, you know, how you can tell, like, uh, let's use Danny as an example, because we're, I'm friends with Danny, you're friends with Danny. 
Danny could be having a conversation with you in near his window, near the big window, and tell you exactly what the guy that's putting tomatoes on the, the steak or the sandwich is doing at the other end of the building. Because if you watch someone, no matter how many people I talk to, I'd be looking at you, but my eyes were everywhere, smelling, oh, yeah. what's the temperature, what are they doing, why are those fries still in the bin, why are they not in the tray and out the door, why are they getting soggy, why is that steak still on the grill when it should have came off 35 seconds ago? That's what you get when you're at your store. Now, I've been lucky a lot of the franchisees I have had have that same mentality. But I've learned a lot. I learned a lot going through that process. Like, right. we all make mistakes growing. The thing that bothers me, though, if I'm going to be really honest, I don't really, I don't really pay attention to comments that come up if they're not, if they're not, um, what's the word, what I'm looking for, um, not, if, not criticized. If they're, if they're um, constructive, constructive. Thank you. I pay attention to every constructive, but when I hear something like, "Nah, Tony Luke's sell out, used to be good. Now all he, all he cares about is the money, so he don't care about the sanity. He doesn't care like that." When someone says to me, hey, you should really take a look at this franchise. I've been there and it's kind of, it wasn't right. Then I immediately get my, which, which my team is always out there anyway, but they're far away. You know, in fact, this is the first time in over 30 years, there is no Tony Luke's in South Philly. Yeah. There's no Tony Luke's in South Philly. And that, you know, killed me. And it, 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 it still bothers me because that was, you know, the birthplace of, of what it, what it was and, and what it did. But like I said, you have to decide iconic store or brand. Well, I was young, you know, I was 30 something years old. I wanted a brand. I wanted to be like McDonald's. I wanted, you know, a thousand franchises. I wanted the name to be known all over the world. What I didn't know is what you have to give up for that. You know yeah. what I mean? So, but I think your expectations, uh, Tony, like is the, is the, the shipping concept still out there where you could ship the cheesesteak? Now here's the thing with the shipping cheesesteak. So we tried one, we tried two, we tried three, we tried four, we tried five. I don't even know how many incarnations <laughs> of the frozen cheesesteak we did, but I'm going to tell you right now, and I'll make you this promise. I will literally, I'm telling both of you, I will invite you, I'm inviting you right now to come to my condo whenever you get a free day. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to, I'm going to order the sandwiches. I'm going to thaw them out. I'm going to put them in the oven in front of you. And I'm going to let, and, and let me tell you something. I'm a man of my word. I will never get upset with you. I will never hold if, if you literally eat that sandwich and go, it it's crap, I don't like it. We'll never be mad. Like I won't be mad at you. Yeah. And it, because I don't want you to 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 yes me. I don't want you to go, oh my God, Tony, this is great. And then you guys leave and go, that was the worst thing I ever you're not helping, you're not helping me. <laughs> yeah, but the expectations to to begin with can't be as as high as if you were going to the store, correct? I mean. No, I have friends I mean, that live a, out in Fayetteville, Arkansas, that that used to order your your cheesesteaks, and it was the closest they they closest thing they could find from home, and they appreciate it, even though it wasn't exactly what they were getting on. I'm site. the same way, but same I will way. tell you this, and it's a bold statement, but it was true. I had someone enter a cheesesteak contest locally and use our frozen cheesesteak, and they won. No way, and they. One, <laughs> you know what? They could you can rest your hat on that one. Well, what about so, the bread, Tony? Do you, do you, how do you factor in the bread? Uh, see, this is what I'm saying. So, you got you both guys, both guys got to promise me that you will take me up on that. Over, you don't have to, you don't have to talk about it, you don't have to video, you don't have to do anything. Just the two of you, we're men. When I tell you, if you ask me honestly what I think, taste. 90%. <clears throat> Bread, 98%. Wow. 
Consistency of the meat. 85%. No way. No way. 98% on the bread. There's just no way, Tone. No way. Uh, I might even go. It was, here's what the beauty of it's this a, It's the impossible art, though. Lee's Hoagie House is trying to do it. Nobody can perfect the cheesesteak outside of Philadelphia because they can't half-freeze the bread and then expect right. for that bread to be 100% fresh and make a cheesesteak. It just Correct. doesn't happen anymore. I agree with you. But the, what you're going to change in that sentence is no one has ever, before Tony Luke Jr., <laughs> perfected the bread to do to do it this way. Yep. I am so, and I'm working on it still. Like, I even have more improvements to do. But right now, I'll tell you that I think it's good enough that you would both leave five or six in your freezer for the time that you can't get out. And you wouldn't put it in the oven and take it out and go, ah, this was, this was a waste of money. Well, tell me. I'm going to put that up. And I'm not saying you will agree with me. Know <laughs> that if you think your standards are high, mine's are really high because my name is on it. Literally. And when I tell you it comes fully wrapped, done in a wrapper, labeled what it is, we have a cheesesteak, we have a chicken cheesesteak, we have a cheesesteak with peppers and onions because everywhere else on the planet, they think it's peppers and onions. And But let me tell you something. It's the best pepper and onion cheesesteak you'll Ever okay, listen, Tone. When we when you get it going and you wanted to get it rocking, we, we'll set up a giveaway or do something with the podcast too, where you can taste it and test it and have only. Our... But here's the deal: I'll do that. Okay, but I I I I will I will only want to do that if you two okay. are honest. Wait, are honest with me, and and you like it before you like. I don't want you to put something on that you don't like. Because even to be honest, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it to anyone. Like I wouldn't eat something that I didn't like and then do a big show on how much I hated it. Just like I liked that you're endorsing people. I wouldn't want someone to doubt something. Or if you just said, you know what, we tried it and it's not up to our expectations of a cheesesteak. That's Tony, that's Tony, to that point though, like I, I, I hear exactly where you're coming from and just, I'm sorry for jumping in real quick. No, no, you're fine. I'm out there, Sam Bone and day in and day out. I'm highlighting all these new places and I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave names aside, but you know, these are some big time establishments that are right up with you guys, Pat's Gino's. And again, I'm going to leave names aside, but they went from being the best cheesesteak in the city to just underperforming. And how do I politely just say like, got to get your shit together. People like you are an establishment here in Philadelphia. And if you're going to continue to produce this type of product and get away with it, like, why can't we speak up? And, you know, this is Philadelphia, right? It's a cutthroat city. It is. It is. So let me interject this. You can do that. But here's the couple of things I want you to be aware of before you do it. I'll give you an example. And then I'll give you the, the reason why. I really want to answer that question. I'm a nice guy. Trust me. No, no, I know you. <laughs> I went to the um, World Series. My son, Tony... The ballpark was his baby. He worked that stand every game for years from the first day we opened. Mm. So when the World Series came, I wore his shirt. I have his shirt with his name on it. So I went to the park wearing Tony's shirt. Now, I haven't been in the public eye for quite a while. So I didn't even know if anybody would recognize me in the park near the <clears throat> stand. And I was surprised, humbled, and grateful that everyone did. And then everyone wanted to take a picture. So everyone got in line to take a picture. And I was grateful, literally grateful for that. I didn't even think anybody would remember me. But this is what I'm, I want to try to explain because this kind of hits it. So there's a, a, a group of women in line, and they were drinking a little bit, and it was fine. And I hear her go, where, where, where's Tony Luke Jr.? Like, where, where, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Huh. And he's like, right there. He's right there. He's right there. And she goes, well, it says Tony Luke the third. That, that ain't Tony Luke Jr. Now, again, she meant nothing by this, nothing. But she said to me, excuse me, excuse me. Are you Tony Luke Jr.? And I said, I am. Why would you wear that if, if you're Tony Luke Jr.? 
And I very nicely said, Tony Luther III was my son. He died. And I wore this in honor for nice. him to the game. And she literally got physically sick. Oh. And I said to her, it's okay. It, it's all right. I mean, you can't possibly know. But her first reaction was to assume it was something stupid because she didn't know all the facts. So she jumped to a conclusion and she put it out there. There's, I hear what you're saying and you're right and the owner should know, but here's what I think you need, that everyone needs to understand. I'm not, I'm, it sounds like I'm generalizing and it will come off that way, but nothing is 100%. Let me reaffirm that. Nothing is 100%. Most people I know in business today, mom and pops, and I'm not even talking about corporations, can't get anybody that wants to work. Right. Nobody wants to put the time in. Nobody wants to work night work. Nobody wants to work more than four hours. Everyone wants the weekend off. When's the last time you've ever been anywhere and truly, and I'm being honest, and you walked into a place and someone went, yeah, what can I get you? What do you need? What do you want? Wesley time went, hey, man, how you doing? How are you? Thanks for coming. What can I get you? What do you need? Because it's almost like people are working because they have to work and they don't want it. Like when I, the, the first thing when I opened up a store, I would go to every single person that worked the line and go, if someone walks in the place, address them. I don't care if there's 100 people in line. And it's obvious that it's going to be a minute Go, Hey, how are you? It's going to be a little bit of a line, but I'm going to get to you. Thank you. What can I don't stand there on your phone. Don't look at an order while someone is standing in front of you. They'll wait 20 minutes. Acknowledge the fact that they're in front of you. Let people know that you see them. So a lot of times the things that you're talking about are almost out of the control of the people that are on it because they're, to, 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 and I'm not saying you can't find people that want to do a, a great job. And I'm not doing that. So if, if people email you and go, Tony's wrong, he's an idiot. I'm not general. I'm trying to tell you, it's not 100%. But there's a lot of people. And there's no way you have not experienced this going Oh, no. It's doubt about it, man. They don't want to be there. People don't want to be there. They don't want to do it. Especially post-pandemic. No, no doubt about it. Their attitude's the same. I remember when I was a kid, if you had a problem with a credit card company and it wasn't right and they were raising your rates, you'd go, you know what? I I'm not going to use the card anymore. Wait a minute. Let me get your supervisor. Let me hold on a minute. No. Do you know what you call it? If they raise your rate to 30% and you go, I've been with you 10 years. You raised it 30%. I want to close my account. Give me a minute, sir, and we'll start closing your account. They don't, don't care. They don't care. You're right. Don't You're care. Right. You're right. So a lot of that, and I'm not saying all of it is that reason, but but a lot of it, look around. And the best thing you can ever do for someone that really cares is to go to an owner and go, hey, man, you know, I've been coming here a lot. And I just, there's things I've noticed. And I, and you'd be surprised how many times that owner will turn around to you and go, I know I'm doing everything I can. I don't know. When I had the place in Jersey, I advertised everywhere. I used Indeed, this one. Uh, for one month, three people showed up. And out of the three, two canceled. And the one person that did show up had headphones on. And I said, I'd like to talk to you about the job. Oh, I can hear you. I hear the music. Oh, I can hear you. Okay. I'll just do it. Like, it's not. Do you think that... Do you think that's because I have a, a sponsor of, 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 of my show, me and Michi, an awesome Italian place here in Charlotte where I live and work. Like he always says, like, I'm just trying to find good work, man. It's, it's really hard. I'm like, and my, my mom has businesses in Bucks County where I'm from and Jersey Shore and Princeton. And she's always trying to find good work. Right. And it's very hard to do. Right. Everybody knows that it's no secret, especially now post pandemic. People are getting paid just as much, if not more. To not work, right? And that's a whole nother topic, and it's politics, and we don't talk about it on here. But yeah, I don't talk about politics. Yeah, I never get involved in politics. It's never good. But my point to all of it is, it's like, is it people trying to be a brand too much, too quick, or it's like, hey man, you really you shouldn't have become you're trying to become a brand too quick. You need to work your business more. Well, there's there's a lot of truth 
in what you said. I've actually talked to a few people that said to me, man, my place is doing really, really good. This is the one thing I always tell people they think I'm nuts. I got lines down the block, Tony. I can't get people in. I'm thinking about buying next to me, knocking that wall out, and sitting in other pe 50 people. I go, no, no, no. You one lines out the door all the time. People want to go where they see lines. You make it bigger. People think it looks empty, and you're not. Now you got to double your workforce, and all of these things that would would the biggest the biggest argument that I ever had with my family was when they opened up the sports bar across the street. And my argument was. You're selling cheesesteaks, roast pork, chicken cutlets. So the entire menu that we're serving across the street, you're going to serve here across the street. So in my eyes, like they wanted a place where people can sit, have a beer, enjoy it. But in my eyes, I'm like, you just doubled our overhead yep. and cut our profits in half. Tough. So, and I get what he wanted to do, and I love what he wanted to do, <clears throat> but then open up a pizzeria or open up something that is not competing food wise with that because people are just going to go, Well, the line's too long. I'm just going to go across the street. Well, you have a bunch of people you're paying across the street, and a bunch of people you're paying over here. So, that's what I tell people that want to expand get your house in order. And never expand until you find someone in the in the in the business that you're working now that can do it as good as you. Then leave them there and you go and start the second one. And you don't come back till you find someone at that second location that has the same investment and character and 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 fortitude to make it a success before you even think about three. People go, oh no, I got a guy, he went to business school. He ran a Starbucks. He ran a Starbucks? What does that mean, he ran a Starbucks? This is a cheesesteak place. Or it's a pizzeria. What does it have to run a Starbucks? Well, he knows business. What does it have to do with knowing the product? I love it. See, I'm I getting excited. I apologize. Yeah, no, I love it, man. I, I go on this rant. I love it. I, get, think, I, I think it's a good, right? And that's what this show is. Like, what's Sam Boner? Whatever. We're all here together. There's going to be small businesses that listen to this. There's going to be people that are in business that are going to be listening to this. There's going to be people that want to just listen to cheesesteaks. And that's the best part about having someone like you on and why we highlighted you as one of our first guests because we know the type of guy you are. I know plenty of people who know you and love you and, and, and your stories and your journey is great. As we move forward, though, I think the question for me is like, I always like love the history. Like if I'm a listener to the show, like what's the history of this kind of city with the cheesesteak? Like, because it's now all over the country. Yours are right. There's, there's places here. We, I just did a cheech cheesesteaks in Charlotte, North Carolina. That was really good. They shipped the bread down, right? It's really good. I call it a good suburb cheesesteak. Like where I grew up then awesome. Like go to your, go to get an Italian hoagie, go get a cheesesteak, go get pizza. The birds are on cheesesteak, like really good. Um, so there, it's all over. But the history of the of the Philly cheesesteak, like from when you were there, ninety two, and through that, like, and then also like how sports blend with that. That's like the the questions I have. Like as I'm sitting here, how are we going to prep for the show? So I'll ask you the first question. You got Pat's, Geno's, yours, right? Steve's, Jim's. Like, do you know them? Do you have relationships with them? How does well, that all work in the nucleus with you guys? I am friends with every single person that owns any kind of cheesesteak or sandwich shop. I always have been. I would do interviews and people would go, we're interviewing you with Tony Luke's. Why are you talking about Pat's and Gino's and Steve Prince's steaks and Jim's? I'm like, why wouldn't I? That the, my favorite question is, Tony, tell us what makes Tony Luke's cheesesteak the best cheesesteak? And I go, it's not the best cheesesteak. And they go, what, what, what do you mean? And I go, it's the best cheesesteak that I can make. There you go. To make a statement that mm -hmm. it is the best cheesesteak is so egotistical and pompous because everyone's tastes are different. Who likes it chopped? Who doesn't like it chopped? Who likes a soft roll? Who likes a crunchy roll? Who likes Cooper cheese? Who likes American? Who likes it cooked really well, really fast? Who likes it more juicy? Who wants more oil left? So to say I'm the best 
is ridiculous. But you can say, I try to do the best that I can do. You know, it's funny, Colin, and Tony's answer echoes Danny's answer when I asked him the same question, and he even fell on Tommy Dinick's sword, and Tommy Dinick will tell you the same exact thing. It's the best hot roast pork sandwich that I can make. That's great. Because it's the truth. It is. It's a beautiful thing. And if you have to hype it more than that, then you don't believe that it is the best that you can do. If you have to cram it down my throat that it's the best, I never understood. And I'll tell you the other thing that gets on my nerves, always have. I don't care how you feel about Pats or Geno's. I don't. Like, I, I'm, Frankie is a dear, dear friend of mine. Gino is literally like a brother to me. Literally like a brother. What bothers me is when people go on and they go, don't go to Pats, don't go to Geno's. It's a tourist trap. It's crap. It's this. It's that. Okay. That's your opinion. But never, ever, ever, ever lose sight of the fact that if there was no Pats, there is no cheesesteak. There's none. It doesn't exist without them. Plus, if there's no Geno's, there's no rivalry between the two that took cheesesteaks from Philly and made it a national story. And that corner on 9th Street became the corner for movies and TVs. So you may not like it. You may think, okay, well, this guy makes a better steak. He uses Wagyu and, and they bake their bread in an oven. And all of that is fine and well. But don't down someone who started something that is literally the father of the birth of the sandwich that you love. Have a little respect and just be a little, you know, you could say, you know what, Pats and Geno's, I give them all the credit in the world. Maybe it's not my thing. I think this place is better. There's nothing wrong, but to say they're crap and they're junk and it's a tourist trap to me is, 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 is hurtful. It's just hurtful to someone that created it and built it to what it is today. And and you crap all over it. I, the challenging, I the challenging part there, Tone, though, is is that the the competitive landscape, not only just with the way us Philadelphians banter about, you know, what's cheesesteak you had, what's in your top five, you know, we can find a better cheesesteak. But that said, to your point, like I'll recall taking my son, we did a little sand boner action in, in South Philadelphia. We stopped at Pat's King of Steaks. And I do recall him saying, Dad, this cheesesteak is not that good. I'm like, Hold the phone here. Look, enjoy the food. And I just started to give him a little bit of the history behind just South Philadelphia in general. And that Geno's and Pat's without these two staples, the rest of it doesn't happen. And that's a beautiful thing. And I still think you can get to Geno's and Pat's and get a good quality cheesesteak. But again, like you said, man, you know, two o'clock in the morning, everybody's pissed drunk, acting like in a total asshole. Like you're just sometimes not going to get that quality product that you're going to get like right around six o'clock, seven o'clock. So you know, uh, Pat's and Gino's holds a special place in my heart. I think it holds a special place in every Sam owner's heart. And again, without that, those two. As staples, it should. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it was a big deal. When I played basketball at Archbishop Wood, where Mick and I went, we'd go play Newman Gretti. And on the way back from Newman Gretti, we'd all stop, get off the bus. The entire team would be out there. And it was tradition. Half the team would go to Pat's. Half the team would go to Gino's. We'd have our per diem or whatever. Dad gave me 10 bucks. And it was a fond memory, it, you know, it, that's what, and, and that's the best part of the cheesesteak scene. That's why we have a podcast. That's why there's the Sam boners because that's why Tony you're nationwide because it's a really unique place. This city, it really is. And I've been traveling because of football all across the country, but everybody talks about Philly. Everybody knows somebody from Philly, everybody, something about that. It's unique. And, and that's when I bring it to the next thing. How has sports impacted your business? Because Philly sports are huge in South Philly. Philly's different than normal. I wouldn't ask this question um, if you were in Raleigh-Durham or North Carolina, where I'm at now, in Charlotte. I wouldn't ask this question if you lived in Tampa. I wouldn't. And there's great sports in Tampa. But for Philly, it's got an impact. My mom's in, my mom is badass uh, when it comes to the you know merchandising and sales in the Northeast. And it has a dramatic impact on her business when the sports do well. How's it impact yours? Well, we have a place in the link. Obviously, we have a place in Citizens Bank Park. Those places do phenomenal, thank God. And the original store, 
was we would put more people on. Like you knew you were you were getting it. And I, I think it's it just happened. It just it has to do with the passion of Philadelphia itself, because I truly believe that everyone who was born and raised here in Philadelphia always feels like the underdog. We always feel like we're the blue collar people that shouldn't have really achieved anything, should stay in their place and know their place. And I think we've been fighting that for as long as I can ever remember and even way before me and every generation before. So anything that people take pride, when you got a blue collar town, when you're talking about a town of, of working class people, what do you have? Truly, you have food, you have family, and you have sports. Because the sports takes you to another place. It puts you in the national spotlight. It, it is something to root for. It is something to be proud of, which is why fans go so crazy. I, I literally, last game, and I'm doing it tonight, I'm do, they, they loved it so much they want me to come back tonight. I put on the green cape and the green outfit from the movie Invincible. And I ran on the tailgate <laughs> and people were losing. People were going, one guy came up to me and said, dude, you look just like the guy who played the Cape Clad Eagle fan in, in the movie, except he was way fatter than you. I'm like, that was me. I was 400 pounds when I did that movie. And he's like, that wasn't you. I'm like, no, that was me. And then they got a big kick out of it. And the kids love it. And that role of playing the Cape Clad Eagle fan in Invincible is iconic. I literally remember watching the Screen Actor Guild Awards where George Clooney got up and all these people were talking. They said, now we want to show scenes from big films where a small role became this iconic role. And they got, ladies and gentlemen, Tony Luke Jr., Invincible. And it was me doing the Cape Clad God. Nice. So it was, and, and that movie really hit upon why sports are so important for a blue collar town, working class town, Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, it was like, it was, it's a blue collar town. It's not this, it's not like Miami or that, these big oil and, and, and resort towns. So it's food, family, and sports. And when you, and you're celebrating all three of them together in the same town and you're celebrating a sandwich that was born here. It was born in this city. Amen. Really well said. Isn't Amen. that good? I, I knew it. And I think I thought you would be able to articulate it really well from being down there in South Philly because it's so true. It's so different. Like I said, it's hard to say. I have to ask you about Invincible, right? And you've had an acting career. You've had a music career. Talk about your passion for the arts. Talk a little bit about Invincible. Invincible? Oh, could be another episode. So Invincible, I had just got done doing Tenth and Wolf with Dennis Hopper and Giovanni Ribisi and James Marston. And it was a it was a supporting role that wound up getting cut to almost nothing. So I get back to Philly and I get a call from my agent saying, they have a role we want you to look at. It, it, you're playing a fan in the stands and it's one line. And I'm like, I'm not doing one line. I'm not, I'm not doing a line. And they were like, it's a Disney movie. I'm like, I'm not doing a line. I'm not going to do one line in a film. I, I just did a co-starring role with Dennis Hopper and James Marsden and Giovanni DeV and, and Brian Denny. Like it was, it was an all-star cast. I'm like, I'm not doing one line in a Disney. But if you know anything about sides, they can't send you one line. So they have to send you a page of the script. And on the bottom of the script, it said Alice Cooper. Eagle fan. Like six feet tall, 130 pounds soaking wet. Wears a green cape, tries out for the team in his 30s, like or 30s. So I call back my agent and go, that's that's the part I want to audition for. They go, Tony, you're five foot nine, bald. He has hair down to his butt in the script, 400 pounds. You look like a fire plug. This is not, and I'm like, I want to audition for this role. I want to audition. I had to fight to get that audition. And Diane Heary fought right there with me. And she, she got me the audition. And I went in and I did the audition. And everyone waiting to go in, if you've ever done acting stuff, they all look like the character. 
everyone, everyone I stood next to, we looked like the number 10. They were tall and skinny and I looked like a round ball. So I go in and I do the audition and Diane is hysterical laughing. She goes, Tony, I love it, but it doesn't fit the rise. So I just wanted a chance to audition. About two weeks later, I get a phone call. She says, come in. The director wants to talk to you. And someone from Disney's here. So I walk in and I'm sitting down like this and I go, so the director goes, I have a problem, Tony. I'm like, well, what's the problem? I said, so you called me down here to let me know that I didn't get the job. The problem is, do I find an actor that fits the character or do I make the character fit the actor? And that's what I don't know. He said, do me a favor, don't shave and don't shave your head. I'm like, but if I don't shave my head, I'm not bald, <laughs> like it's all weird. Give me a couple weeks and I'll give you my final answer. They called me, they said I had it. They gave me the mutton chops, but I have tattoos everywhere. So they had to get makeup artists to cover all the tattoos. And then my hair looked like St. Anthony with the weird kind of, you know, that round. And the thing I remember most is going in a trailer, putting on this outfit at 400 pounds, green sneakers, green everything, walking out and there's a hundred Teamsters on set. And I remember walking out of the trailer and they're going, Tony, Luke, oh my God, you look like a New Year's float. Like, what is that? <laughs> and I remember them ribbing me to the set. And every time I wanted to do something, the director kept saying, mm -mm, it's not a comedy. I'm like, I'm not trying to be funny. This guy really, in my mind, this guy really believes he's in shape. And I kept doing it. And he got so fed up with me. So, you know what, Tony, just do what you want to do. Like, I, I'm, you know, I just do whatever you thought. Just, I remember we fought every day. And he kept bringing me back to give me more scenes, then go on the field. And, and he said to me, Tony, I love it, but I don't know if we're, we're not going to cut you out of the whole film because it's not a comedy and everything you did is funny. <laughs> and then the trailer came out and I saw myself in the trailer and he kept every scene that I did. Nice. One of my best stories, I know I'm going off topic, but I know you can edit it out. Uh, we're in the field and I'm like, say on the 10 yard line and he's in a golf cart and it's the scene when everyone gets rejected. And if you remember the movie, it's the scene where I drag my cape all dejected off the field, like, like Snoopy, just like dragging the cape. But in the beginning, he wanted me to fight. Like he said, push everyone. You're angry. You're mad. And I didn't think the character should be mad. Now, remember, he's on a golf cart because he's on the 40 yard line on the other side. So he has a big megaphone. He goes, you know what to do? Yeah, it was around me. And he goes, all right, camera, speed, action. And here's me. I hear, cut. He comes running on the golf cart. Tony, did you not me hear, hear me yell action? I'm like, yeah, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do it. Oh, my God, he goes. Oh, my God. Like, I'm thinking I'm never going to work again. He's like, oh, my God. What would he, would he do? He'd be dejected. He'd be horrible. He'd be sad. He goes, I like it. Grab the cape that you threw on the floor and walk off dejected and we'll run the camera on you. So in the end, me and him got really, really close. But when I tell you, I was on his nerves so bad. I really thought I was going to get cut out of the entire movie and fired. But it was was the best. Mark was incredible. He was he's an awesome human being. He's a good friend. Eric Weinstein, <clears throat> it was his best friend, who's the real E from Entourage, yep. is one of my closest friends. Nice. And he's a beautiful human being. And Mark did something for my son, Tony, that I'll never, ever forget. And I, I again, you can cut it out, but I want to share the story. So that Mark was promoting something in Philly. So Eric calls me and says, hey, Mark's in town. We're at the hotel. You want to come up and, you know, and hang out? And I said, yeah. I said, let me bring sandwiches. He's like, no, I'm, no let me bring sandwiches. So I made a bunch of sandwiches and traffic getting at the center city was, it took me an hour and a half. And my son, Tony said, dad, can I come, uh, you know, and be with Mark? Can I, I'm like, yeah. So we, we get to the hotel just as they're leaving. And Eric goes, Tony, I'm so sorry. It took you. I said, yeah, just take the sandwiches on, on the plane. I said, but I appreciate it. And Mark came down and Tony was there. I said, Mark, I want to introduce you to my son, Tony. He just want to talk to you for a little bit. And, you know, I said, but we understand. And he went, no, no, sit down. And Eric said, Mark, we, we got to get, you know, the plane. 
And he's like, they'll wait. Wow. And he spent 30 minutes talking to my son, Tony. Mm. 30 minutes. He could have so easily went, Tony, miss, sorry. Miss, God, yeah, me. 30 minutes. And I appreciated it then. But then after he died, Tony, like that image, that whole moment stuck in my head. And forever, I will be grateful to him for that. Because it was just, he didn't have to do it. And it was, it was great. And it was, and, and then we met and everything through, through the film and he was good, good people. It's, it's awesome to hear, man. You got stories for days, Tony. Oh, I do music. I mean, I opened up for Daryl Hall on Broadway nice. with, with uh, Alan Stone and Sharon Jones from the Dap Kings. I remember my friend, we were outside getting ready to do the show. And he literally said to me, look, and I'm like, what? He goes, look at the marquee. And I said, yeah, it says Daryl Hall, uh, Alan Stone, Tony Luke Jr. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, it's lit up. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I see it. it Al, my friend Al, I said, he <clears throat> goes, do you know what street we're on? Do you know what theater this is? This is the Beacon Theater. I'm like, okay. He goes, your name is on lights on Broadway. He said, there it is. He's like, this is it. And then when we did Frankenfood, <clears throat> My the billboard was me and Josh next to the Lion King for weeks. Unbelievable. In Times Square. Unbelievable. It was insane. Like, and I'm thinking, I'm a kid from Ethan McClellan. I'm playing cards with Dennis Hopper and you know, stories, and I'm hanging out with John Travolta because I just did the Gotti film and I got to know John really well. And it's just it was it was almost like a dream. I I, I said my life has been filled with some of the greatest highs I could ever have imagined, but equally filled with the most horrific tragedies imaginable as well, which always made me understand the balance of life. You know, people look at me and they look at my Instagram and they go, Oh, Tony's great. Like, look at him. And I keep trying to tell people Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, is not real. Their business. It is not real. People put their best face in front of that camera. They put the best situations. I had one person come up to me and said, man, you do, you're, you're really dealing so well with the loss of your child. And I'm like, how do you know how I'm dealing with my child? Well, we see you do music. You, do, you felt like you don't know what happens when I, when I close the front door of my condo. You don't know the days that sometimes I'm, I'm five days sitting on the couch and I haven't moved. I haven't showered. I haven't bathed. I haven't talked. I just cried for five days straight. Like you don't say, I don't show that. I don't, I don't go on Instagram and go, Oh, look, this is me in massive depression. Hope you have a great day. No, I try every post that I put on Instagram to be positive and inspiring to people. Cause I know what people have to deal with. I know what it's like to deal with those types of tragedies. You don't, no one needs someone to go on every day and tell them how bad things are. People live bad things. They, they need to be told that there is light, that there is hope. You know, the thing I've learned out of all of this was it's okay to go there. It's all right to be on that couch. You just can't live on that couch. You can go there, but you can't stay there. Powerful words. Tony Luke Jr., absolute legend. We appreciate your time, uh, and again, just can't thank you enough because this is, you know, this is the beginning of the Sam Boner show, and we, again, we highlighted you to come on. So, I really appreciate you joining the show. I know Mick does as well. Absolutely, well, I appreciate it, and I love to have you guys over. And I want to give one We're quick in. plug, if I can. Plug away. Please, anybody's watching this, check out SoundMindNetwork.org. It is the foundation. And we use musicians and we're partnering up. We have a big announcement coming in 2023. Huge announcement. And uh, we're taking it to a whole nother level. And we raise money through music. And then we support foundations and, and recovery centers and hospitals that use music therapy as a way to help those that are struggling with mental health trauma and addiction. Because if it wasn't for the music, I would have taken my life. I know I would have. It was the music 
saved my life. It gave me an outlet to, to let it out. And that's why when people listen to the song One More Night, which I had written, so many people have emailed me and said, that really touched me, Tony. Like it really, it made such a difference to me going through what I went through. And if you've lost someone that you love, you should definitely check out this song one more night that I wrote and performed. I wrote that when it was really bad for my son, when I really thought about ending it, I wanted to say, a, I wanted to create a, a, a homage to him and to everyone who never got a chance to say goodbye to someone that they loved. And that if they're with you and they're in you, then you don't ever have to say goodbye or you can say goodbye whenever you want. And then COVID hit. And that song took on a whole new life of itself because so many people weren't able to be with their loved one when they passed away. So if you haven't seen it and you've lost someone that you really care about, I think it's a song that would it would would really touch you. The videos, it's everywhere streaming, but you should watch the video. I wanted to do a video with me and piano just performing it for for people to make it more intimate. I didn't want a whole band there and I didn't want a music video. I, I just wanted them to see how I felt and wanted them to know that, that there is in the worst possible pain, there can be a strength, there can be a learning. I tell people when you concentrate on the pain, you will suffer for the rest of your life. When you look at the pain as a lesson and you learn from it, then you'll grow stronger and you won't suffer. Powerful stuff as always. Tone, I love it. I appreciate you plugging Thank it. We'll, ha we'll have you on in the new year when you're, break when you're breaking news and all of that stuff. I would love we'll, that. We'll continue to plug it. So, And we got to get together. I would love to, love to get I together would love and let you try this. I would love to. I know Mick does do. I'll be back this off season. Well, maybe we'll get it done in you know January, February, March, <laughs> and time there. So that's Tony Luke Jr. I'm Colin Thompson. That's Mick, the Sam Boner, Mick McKenzie. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Keep on Sam Boner. Sam Boner out.